Welcome everyone, Dave Therrien here. Thank you for joining me. We're presenting to you this week a Sunday morning series entitled The Story of Redemption in the Old Testament. And we're learning that, you know, God's plan for redemption didn't begin at the cross. It actually started way back at the Garden of Eden. And we're working our way through and we find ourselves with Abraham, as we met Abraham last time. And Abraham taught us that it's faith that brings us into relationship with God. And because of that faith, God made a covenant with him. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. And he promised them descendants without number. And what does that mean to us? It means a lot because we're those descendants. We are like the stars of the sky, the sand of the sea. So that Abrahamic covenant goes beyond the Old Testament agreement of an inheritance of land. It also speaks of an inheritance of people, and that's us. So this is good Bible knowledge that all Christians should understand. So let's buckle up, let's get ready to go, and let's learn not only about the Abrahamic covenant, but what it means to us today. Well, we're continuing with the story of redemption with a man named Abraham. In the beginning, God called him Abram, and then he changed his name to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, I'm just going to call him Abraham if that's okay. Is that all right? Okay. In Genesis 12, Abraham is called out by God because he trusts in God. Right off the bat, we see something really good about Abraham. He trusts God. God gives him something to do that's not that easy. But you know what? He trusts him. There's no telling what you can do if you trust God while you're doing it. And he calls you to do it. So God called him out. He trusted him. And because of that, God made a covenant with him. A covenant is uh, an agreement or a contract. And though this was made 4,000 years ago, it has significance to us today. And that's why we're studying. That's why we're learning the Abrahamic covenant. You'll be ahead of the game after tonight. And you'll understand how this covenant works. So we pick it up in verse 1 of Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, and from your relatives, and from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now that's quite a list of promises that God is making to Abram. And we know that Abraham believed God and trusted him, because in verse 4, Abram, he went forth as the Lord has spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Lot was his nephew. Now Abram was, ooh, 75 years old when he departed from Haran. He's no spring chicken. 
We talked about Moses, right? Recently on Sunday, he was 80 when God called him. Now he's calling Abram, and he's 75. Abram, pack up your house. We're going to move out. You know, you can collect a lot of stuff in 75 years. You know that? Oh, yeah, a lot of furniture, a lot of trinkets, a lot of photo albums, all kinds of stuff. They had to pack up all that and move out. In verse 5, Abram took Sarai, his wife. She later became Sarah. And he took Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions, which they had accumulated, right? They had a lot of stuff. And also the persons which they, which they had acquired in Haran. I guess he had a lot of employees, servants that he had. And they set out for the land of Canaan. And thus they came to the land of Canaan. So you'll notice on your map, in your notes, the bottom right corner is where he began in Ur of the Chaldees. Then he traveled to Haran, up north. It was in Haran that God called him and told him to head south and west to Canaan. And you can see where Canaan land is. And by the way, later on, Jerusalem was established just above Canaan. Okay? So Abraham's family traveled hundreds of miles north to Haran, lived there for a time. I believe at that point his father died. And then he went west and south. Now, instead of being a city dweller, because originally when he lived in Ur, that place was like, a modern city. That was like New York. Ur was a great place. But he had to leave, and he went to Haran. And then God, when God called him out of Haran, instead of being a city dweller, he was to live in tents, moving from campsite to campsite in search of pasture and water. Now, the Babylonian scribes, despised people who lived in tents. They didn't like them. I think they didn't trust them. But that's what God called them to. And perhaps that is a picture for us to see that God's people are not of the world. He's even showing Abraham that. Abraham, you're not of the world anymore. You're not going to be a city dweller where the culture of the world thrives. I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out into the wilderness. And you'll be separated from the world. It's a good reminder for us, too. Though we're in the world, John said, we're not of the world. We don't gain our strength from the world. We don't gain our encouragement from the world. We get it from God. Other people were gradually setting in, settling in those cities, uh, mixing with the earlier inhabitants, but they had to remain nomads. So right off the bat, it's not an easy life. God called Abram to a life that wasn't going to be easy. Unlike the modern-day preacher today, when they when they preach to thousands of people, 
give your life to God and he's going to bring you to a place of blessing and prosperity and all good stuff. Well, God called Abram and brought him to a place of just nowhere to lay his head, no place to settle down. He was a nomad. He was a traveler. He was a sojourner in a strange land. This might not seem fair, but God has a purpose and a plan for Abraham. And he has a purpose and a plan for his descendants, just like he does for us as well. We have to keep revisiting that thought. Ooh, God has a purpose for my life. If he didn't have a purpose for my life, I wouldn't be born. Why was I born? But for God's purpose. Why was I born again? But to fulfill God's purpose. So here comes Abraham's purpose. And it's kind of solidified in the Abrahamic covenant. Now in your notes, there is a five-fold promise of this Abrahamic covenant. There's a promise, number one, of land. God is going to give his descendants a whole lot of land. Number two, he's going to promise him descendants. Many, 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 many children. Not biological children, but children of faith. Thirdly, he's going to bless him. It's great to be blessed by God. He's going to make his name great in verse 2. And thirdly, in verse 3, fifthly, the nations of the earth will be blessed in Abraham. Abraham will not only be blessed, but he will be a blessing. At the end of the message, we're going to see how this covenant uh, relates to us in our own Christian walk as well. So Abraham, he kind of, he, he questioned God as to how these things could be since in his old age he had no children. So God called Abraham outside. And after showing him the numerous stars of the night sky, he told him that his descendants would be numbered like the stars. And we find that scene in Genesis chapter 15. You can just jump over there. Genesis 15 verse 5. God took him outside and he said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And what was he talking about? He was talking about people that would follow in the steps of Abraham for all the rest of human history. And what were the steps of Abraham? That he trusted God. That's what he did. He trusted God. And we're going to see tonight that when you trust God, that results and righteousness. So the descendants were children of Abraham in the sense that what he did and became a child of God and the father of our faith, when we do that, we become descendants of Abraham. Okay? Now, the Jews in the days of Jesus misunderstood that because they thought it was their heritage that made them sons of Abraham. And Jesus had to correct them. He said, no, it's not your heritage, it's your faith. 
It's never changed. All throughout history, it's always been faith. It's never not been faith to bring somebody into a relationship with God. Okay? Verse 6. This is key. And here it is. Then, after he looked at all the stars in the sky, then he believed in the Lord. And God reckoned it to him as righteousness. So what we see is belief equals righteousness. Belief equals righteousness. How different from the religions of the world. And the religions of the world, ritual equals righteousness. Sacrifice equals righteousness. A pilgrimage equals righteousness. Works of some type equals righteousness. But it's like, no. There's only one thing that equals righteousness. Belief. So Abraham becomes like our pattern. He believed God, and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. God made Abraham righteous at the moment of faith. Then Abraham questioned God about the land. God told him his descendants would be strangers and oppressed, in verse 13, for 400 years in a strange land, showing that was not their home. And I was thinking about that. And I'm thinking, wow, why would God allow 400 years of slavery happen to Abraham's descendants? And I had one or two answers to that. One of them, either God decreed it, or number two, God had foreknowledge that it would happen. I don't know which one it is. I think if I had to lean toward one of those, my personal conviction would be, God had foreknowledge that it would happen. Not that God made it happen, but he knew that it would happen. Okay, God's foreknowledge plays a very big part in uh, actually all the prophecies of the Bible. Okay, then in verse 14, he said, there would be an exodus and they would come out wealthy. And we just studied that with Moses, didn't we, on Sunday? That after the last plague, the people couldn't wait to get rid of the Israelites. And the Israelites, as God said, plundered them. And they took their gold and their silver and their clothing and their fabrics. And they're like, take it all. Just get out of here. Leave our land. And they took it all. And they left very, very wealthy. And I believe those are the materials that they used to build the tabernacle in the wilderness. So in verse 17, excuse me, in verse uh, 9, we have the ritual of this covenant. You know, every covenant needs a ritual. Sometimes in the Old Testament, they threw salt over their shoulder, and that sealed the deal. Sometimes someone would take off a shoe and give it to the other person, and that would seal the deal. There was a time when people had honor, and they would do a handshake, and that would seal the deal. Now, people hire a whole team of lawyers to try to get out of the deal. But there was a time when people had more integrity. So there was always a ritual to a contract. And here's the ritual in verse 9. God said to him, 
bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove, that's a bird, and a young pigeon. And then he brought all these things to him and he cut them in two. And he laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. So, wow, this is quite a feat. He brought the heifer, cut it in two. One piece over there, one piece over there. Then he brought the goat, cut it in two. One piece over there, one piece over there. Brought the ram, cut it in two. One piece over there, one piece over there. Okay. Verse 17. God confirmed the oath. It came about when the sun had set that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these, peeps, these pieces. Verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt which is the Nile, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. So again, you can see on your map, the very left side of the map, it's not even on the map, it's just off a little bit, would be the Nile River. And if you follow that black line all the way to the Euphrates River, all that land was going to be given to Israel. Okay? Now, that was the covenant of the land. Now, there are two types. I'm going to go back and explain that little ritual shortly. There are two types of covenants. Number one, there's a conditional covenant where man must respond. So the covenant is based on a condition, man's response. Then there is an unconditional covenant where no response is needed by man. Okay? That's an unconditional covenant. The Mosaic covenant of blessing and cursing that God made with Moses was a conditional covenant. If the people did this, God would do that. Obedience resulted in blessing. Disobedience resulted in cursing. So the Mosaic covenant was a conditional covenant. God is saying in this agreement... If you do what I say, then this will happen. But if you don't do it, then this will happen. So there were conditions involved. But the Abrahamic covenant is an unconditional covenant. Man does not have to respond. Why? Because it's God's oath to man based on himself. That's why. God is putting his own name on the line. Now, let's explain this ritual. In Mesopotamian rituals, and by the way, all that land you see on the map, that's all Mesopotamia, all that green, and all the way down to Ur, that's all considered Mesopotamia. So the Mesopotamian culture, okay, when they did a ritual like this, and they had a, co a covenant between people, between each other, they would do this. And the torch in the oven represented particular deities that they believed in. When two men made a covenant, 
the one making the promise would walk between the divided animals. Okay? But it was in the presence of their deities. So in verse 17, notice what it says. It came about when the sun had set, it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which passed between these pieces. Now, that represented God himself. And why, why is God using a pagan, Mesopotamian, ritualistic culture in his covenant with Abraham? Why does he do that? He does it because that's what people understood. They understood that. God's not afraid to use cultural things to explain what he's trying to get across. I mean, the Apostle Paul, he wrote many times about how the Christian faith, it's like a race. I'm gonna, I finished my course. I ran my race. It's like a boxing match. I don't fight as one beating the air. So throughout the scriptures, we see references to natural, secular, cultural examples in order for God to try to communicate these particular truths. And Jesus often used natural parables as well to communicate divine truth. So verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants I've given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. So the torch represented the one true deity, Yahweh. It, and why? Because he could swear by no other. There's no one greater than God, so he could only swear by himself. He put his name on the line on this contract. And you know what else he's saying? May what happened to these animals happen to me if I don't keep my word. If I don't keep this covenant that I'm making with you today, may what happened to these animals, or you cut them up and separated them, May that happen to me. So you know God is saying, my promises are sure. Oh, they are. The promises of God are so sure. And many times we don't get the benefit because we forget them. We forget the promises. We forget all about them. And we don't live in them. And therefore we kind of go on with an anemic faith because we forget the promises of God. We get our sights on the world, and instead of setting our affections on things above and trying to abide in all the things that we learn when we come to church, week after week after week, we come to church to gather information for our walk. But if we don't retain it and abide in it, then our walk just becomes anemic. It's not healthy. So we need to there's nothing wrong with God's promises. It's in our application of those promises that sometimes we think God is failing. But God never fails. We fail to appropriate the promise for any particular situation. Okay? So let's look at the covenant today. In like manner, like God did with Abraham, he enters into a covenant with us. And in the glory of the only begotten Son who passed through between God 
and man. So you know those, those animals that were cut in two pieces and one was on each side? Well, God was here and man was here. And the Lord Jesus came right through and he bridged the gap between the two. Now, all who believe, like Abraham, are members of the covenant. And what's our sign of the covenant? Last time I looked, I didn't see half a heifer, a half a goat, or half a ram. What's our sign of the covenant? How do we know God is faithful to the covenant he made with us? Well, our sign of the covenant is the gift of the Holy Spirit, whereby we are sealed for our heavenly Canaan. Our Canaan land is heaven. That's our land of promise. And we're sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption. And we get into that covenant the same way Abraham did, by faith. That's all. I think if we truly understand how Abraham became justified, we'll truly understand how anybody becomes saved. It's all there. It's all in the Abrahamic covenant. It's Abraham trusted God, and God reckoned him as righteous. And that's it. That is the basis of our salvation. That is the story of redemption. And the Old Testament, and that's where it begins. So let's take a look at the covenant regarding us. The promise of land, our heavenly home. Which, by the way, I don't believe heaven will be our permanent home because God's going to make a new earth, and I believe we're going to come down and live on the brand new earth, and that'll be our home, and the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, will be on the earth, and we're going to live in there with Jesus, and we're going to rule the rest of the planet. So it's really, when it's all said and done, after we come back in the second coming, we're here to stay. And we will be on a beautiful planet. And this will be our home. That's the promise of land. Then descendants, all who believe. The body of Christ is growing. Every time somebody believes, they become a descendant of Abraham. Thirdly, we're blessed. We're blessed because we're children of God. We are sanctified. We're set apart. We're plucked out of the world. We're plucked out of that place of condemnation. We're plucked out of the slave market of sin and made righteous. God has blessed us with spiritual gifts to serve him and make our life count to have a life that means something, that has meaning, that has purpose, that can accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. He's done that for us. Boy, it's never ending, isn't it? What God has planned for us, Incredible. It really is. That's why the Abrahamic Covenant, so good to know. I want to thank you for coming along. Go to our YouTube channel, New Hope Church, Swansea. Hit the icon, hit playlist, create a playlist. Get the whole message in its entirety. I'll see you next time.